0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Last week, of course, being Christmas Sunday, we took a look at a passage out of Luke. But two weeks ago, we were in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and we took a brief look at Demas and what the Bible says about Demas. If you have your Bibles open there in verse number 10, the Bible there says, For Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and we took a look at demas and having forsaken paul having forsaken the ministry really having forsaken the lord and he left not for a better paying job not for a higher position in his career really who forsook the most important things in order to enjoy the pleasures of this life and so we took a look at that a few weeks ago there in verse number 10 But I think because he mentions there, Demas in verse number 10, and then follows that up in verse number 11, mentioning Mark, you can't but help contrast the two lives. Demas in verse number 10, having abandoned Paul, and in verse number 11, it says, take Mark and bring him with thee. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and he asks Timothy, when you come, bring Mark with you. And I believe that this is significant because when you contrast it with Demas, Mark's story is a picture of, can we put it this way, redemption. Or we can put it this way, it's a comeback story. So let's rewind this a little bit. You might not be so familiar with Mark or John Mark and uh, might not know exactly why this statement here is all that important. So let's rewind it just a little bit. Let's go back to the book of Acts. You don't have to turn your Bibles there. I think these verses are on the screen. They may not be, but Acts chapter number 12, verse number 25. In Acts chapter 12, verse number 25, the Bible says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So, this is our introdu- uh, introduction to John Mark. John Mark is related to Barnabas, he's there in Jerusalem. And uh, this is the time period when Peter was in prison. You remember the story? He was in prison and he was going to be beheaded the next day. And remember the angel came and opened all the gate doors and uh, all the shackles fell off and the angel had to wake him up. All right, get up, let's go. And uh, he thought, Peter thought he was dreaming and he got out. And then as soon as he got out of the outer gates of the prison, the angel disappeared and he realized, oh, this is not a dream, this is reality. And he, remember he went over to one of the, uh, a church members houses and he knocked on the door and remember Rhoda came to the door and said who is it and Peter said it's me Peter and instead of opening the door she ran back inside and said hey everybody it's Peter and they're like what are you talking about Peter's in prison and she's like no he's really there and she went over and opened the door and sure enough he was there hey if you remember that story that was John Mark's house all right. John Mark's mother had opened up the home and they had come in and they were praying there together. When that whole event ended there and Paul and Barnabas returned back to Antioch from Jerusalem, they took John Mark with them. This is Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 13, if you're familiar with your Bibles, in verse number five, or well, in verses number one, two, three, and four, we see the calling of Paul and Barnabas to the mission field, right? The Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And the Bible says there, in verse number five, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister, So, Paul and Barnabas are called by God, but they bring John Mark with them to help them in the ministry. So, they go out onto a boat, and they go to Cyprus. They start at one end of Cyprus, they travel to the other end of Cyprus, preaching the gospel, and then they take off sailing north to what we would call modern-day Turkey. When they get there to modern-day Turkey, Mark leaves, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. That's what it says there in verse number 13. Now, when Paul and his company lose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, this is John Mark, John Mark departing from them returned to Jerusalem. Okay, so while they're in the middle of their missionary mission, their journey, John Mark leaves and he goes back home. Paul and Barnabas, they continue. They go into Antioch of Pisidia, they go to Lystra, Iconium, they go further in, and then they return. When they return, they go back to Antioch, they tell everybody what had happened, everybody's rejoicing, that's wonderful, people are getting saved, churches are started, pastors were ordained, and so they continue to just be there in Antioch for a little while. They were preaching and teaching, a couple chapters later we see that there's some individuals, some church members from Jerusalem, they go up to the church at Antioch, and they start causing some trouble. They brought some false doctrine into the church, and they started telling people about this doctrine. And Paul and Barnabas are like, say again? No, that's not right. They begin to have this dispute, this feud, and they started debating. It got pretty heated to the point where they said, all right, we gotta resolve this situation somehow. So Paul and Barnabas, some of the other individuals, went down to the church at Jerusalem to kinda handle this matter. When they go down there, In Acts chapter 15, verse, um, I don't think I have the verses here. So, but in Acts chapter number 15, when they go down to Jerusalem, the Bible says that they told the church about what had happened, about the Gentiles being saved and churches that were started. And of course, as you would expect, the church would rejoice over what had happened. Now, as Paul and Barnabas are telling the church about all of these things, guess who would have been sitting in the audience there that day it would have been john mark so as paul and barnabas this was this was way before this is a long time ago as john mark now is thinking back on what had happened he was missing out he didn't know what happened to the rest of the story he didn't know about antioch and Pisidia. He didn't know about lystra or iconium or these other cities and so imagine john mark there sitting in the congregation hearing, presumably for the first time, what happened after he left, what happened after he was gone. And in verse number 37, uh, uh, Acts chapter number 15, in verse number 37, the Bible says there that Paul and Barnabas, they now, after a little while, decide, you know what, we want to go back and see how the churches are doing. Verse number 37, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas says, hey, I got, that's a great idea. Let's go back and see what everybody's doing. Like you were saying, Paul, let's take John Mark with us. Verse number 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Barnabas, You could sense maybe that Paul is suspecting that they're related together. Maybe Barnabas wants to extend himself again to John Mark. But Paul is like, no way. I'm not going with John Mark. John Mark quit on us last time. If you remember, Paul was stoned in one of the cities when he was on one of his missionary journeys. This was after John Mark had left. And you can imagine, Paul's like, I don't want to go back to one of these cities and get stoned again and have John Mark leave me again. All right, this is not that kind of, I I want somebody I know that I can depend on and I can lean upon. Paul said, no way. I will not trust Mark. If Mark goes, I'm not going. That's in essence what Paul is saying. Verse number 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. So Mark kind of returns back into ministry. But going back all the way to the beginning passage that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, remember what Paul says about Timothy? He says, bring Mark with you or take Mark with you for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Mark, at the very beginning, fell, but now he is profitable in the ministry. And when we talk about the the, the kind of subtitle for this series is Powerful Tools for Perilous Times, if you're going to be entering into perilous times, you will lose some battles. It's just inevitable. There are times when you will fall. There are times when you will sin. All of these different things. It may be possible for you, if we're going to use a sports analogy, to have a perfect inning. It might even be possible for you to have a perfect game, as rare as that is, but there's no such thing as a perfect season. Nobody's ever had a perfect season. Nobody's ever had a perfect career. Any, any, any uh, baseball pitchers, throw strikeouts on every single outing that they have? Of course not. You ever have a batter get up there and get on base every single time he comes up to bat? Of course not. So as Christians, we've got to learn when we fall, how do we get back up? How do we rise up again how do we overcome? How do we brush it off and say, all right, I'm getting back into the race? Because in Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 16, it says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. One of the great traits of Christians and the people of God who, that we look to in the Bible and probably around us is, that when they fell they didn't stay down but they got back up when you take a look at a number of individuals in the bible that you would say you know what i really admire that person while wow, there's a great man of god or a woman of god or you just ask random christians who's your favorite bible character you see a lot of flaws in them let's take a look at moses moses is one of those examples where he thought he was going to deliver the people from egypt and he tried to do it when he was part of the royal family he had all of the connections all of the wealth all the education all everything that you could possibly hope for and he killed an egyptian and he freed one of his brothers essentially from the situation from this beating that he was going into and he thought hey i did a great job and he went before the people and he said hey and 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 remember the reaction of the children of israel they said who are you to be a ruler over us It was like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. I thought they would be happy to see me. I thought they would be like, great, do it again. But they didn't enjoy that. They didn't like that. Not only that, Pharaoh found out about what he did, and he had to run away for his life, and he was in in the, the wilderness running from Pharaoh for 40 years, just watching sheep, just kind of, if you could think of it this way, humanly speaking, wasting his life right? That's how we would think about it. And then God comes to him, and he says, I want you to go back to Egypt. You're going to free my people. And remember what Moses says? Moses is like, me? What? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I, 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 don't th- I think you've got the wrong person here. I'm not the leader that, that, that you think that I am, God. I, I'm not the person to be able to go over there. Uh, who am I? Uh, who, who, if, if they ask, you know, who sent you? What do I say? I, I'm not good at speaking. Remember, he made all sorts of excuses, and he said, okay, all right, Moses, who made your mouth? All right, go, because I told you to go. And he said, okay. And eventually he went, and he led the nation of Israel out. It's a great redemption story about not giving up. About saying, "You know what? If God has called me to this, maybe I tried and it didn't work out, but this is the calling God has given to me and God will enable me. I got to try again. I got to get back up." Let's take another example of somebody in the Bible. Peter Peter was a bold man. Peter was an individual who was the leader of the group. Oftentimes, you would see that people would follow Peter. They would do what Peter would say. Whatever Peter suggested, they would kind of go along with that. And remember right before that Jesus is going to be crucified, remember Jesus is telling the disciples about everything that's going to happen, and, uh, and Peter says, not so, no way. And uh, remember Jesus says he rebukes him? Remember all of these things? And remember Peter one time, he said, though all men should deny thee, I will never deny thee. Peter's standing up there, maybe he's thinking like, yeah, you know, follow me, you know. And Jesus says, tonight, tonight you will deny me three times. And all the other disciples said, no we'll we'll never deny you peter reiterates i will never deny you remember jesus is arrested everybody runs away and jesus goes into the courtroom remember john he gets inside he's he knows some people there he's related and, and and he's got some connections there remember he brings in somebody with him remember he comes back out to the door and he brings peter inside Remember Peter goes inside and he's warming his hands by the fire. I remember some people come up to him and, hey, aren't you with that Jesus person that's on trial right now? Remember what Peter says? Oh, no, 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 you got the wrong person. That's not me. I'm like, okay, all right. Remember another person comes up and he says, you know, when you talk, you have a Galilean accent. You're not from around here, are you? You know, I heard Jesus is from Galilee. You must be with Jesus. No, 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 that's that's not me. Remember the third time? There's another one that says, I remember in the garden. I remember, I saw you. Remember what Peter did in the garden? He pulled out his sword and he cut off the servant's ear. I saw you in the garden. And Peter denied and he started to curse. And remember in one of the Gospels, the Bible says that Jesus looked out and he saw Peter. He looked on Peter and Peter saw him. And he left and he wept bitterly he fell. He had denied the Lord. But Peter, remember after Jesus rises from the dead, remember he's out fishing? Remember he's out fishing, and Jesus is there on the shore, and remember there's this whole event that goes on. They eventually come back to the shore, and Jesus asks him, lovest thou me? Peter says, thou knowest that I love thee. And he says, feed my lambs. Remember this happens three times? When thou art converted, right? when you come back, when you are kind of restored in your you know, following me as you have been called, then I want you to lead. I want you to feed. I want you to help. And Peter rises up on Acts chapter number two. He preaches the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. It's a great redemption story. We could take a look at some other individuals. David is another individual. There's some other individuals as well. But the Bible is full of people who fell but got back up. So let's get back up. I want to take a look this morning at three reasons to get back up when we get knocked down. Three reasons to get back up when we fall down. The first reason is purpose. The first reason is purpose. So in Acts chapter number 13, in verse number 13, I read this verse earlier. The Bible says that the company loosed from Paphos, and when they came to Perga in Pamphylia, John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And so you remember I mentioned that when Paul and Barnabas returned back to Jerusalem, Mark is sitting there in the congregation, and he's hearing all of these things. Well, let's take a look at the all of these things that Mark would have heard These are the things that you missed out on because you left the mission field too early. So in Acts chapter 13, in verse number 42, here we see after John Mark has left... The Bible says that he's there in Antioch. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. So he's there in the synagogue. He preaches to those that are Jewish and he preaches to all of them. There are obviously some that are Gentiles there that are maybe inside that, in the synagogue or hear about it uh, outside. And they say, great, we would love to hear from you again. So the next Sabbath day, the next Saturday, Paul returns, and it's a packed house. It's a packed house. Now, when the congregation, though, was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine? I mean, this is, You know, everybody, standing room only, people are standing outside the door. I don't know if there's windows. People are standing outside the windows wanting to hear what Paul and Barnabas are going to teach and to preach. Well, it continues in verse number 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So Paul and Barnabas, they go into the city. Their custom is that they go to the synagogue every single Sabbath day. They preach the word of God. They debate with those that are there, and people get saved. And so that's what's happening, so much so that the whole city, it feels like, comes into town. Can you imagine? All of the Gentile people, right? Those that are Jewish, they would honored the Sabbath day. But those that are Gentile, they're just living their lives. They might be shopping, they might be working. Can you imagine somebody shows up to work and he's the only person there because everybody else is at the synagogue? Imagine somebody wants to go shopping and buy some food at the grocery store, but the grocery store is closed because everybody is there at the synagogue. I mean, this is that kind of a situation and lots of people are getting saved. Well, not everybody's happy about that. They kick him out of the city. So they go on to the next city. In Acts chapter 14, verse number one, They go to Iconium, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. So they go on to the next city, they preach the gospel in the synagogue, and lots of people are getting saved. A great multitude believed. They go on to the next city. Lystra, Acts chapter 14, verse number eight. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. So again, you have to imagine that Paul is telling the congregation at the church at Jerusalem This is all the things that happened. We went to Antioch and we preached and all the Gentiles said, we want to hear more. The next Saturday, we came back the next Sabbath and it was like the whole city was there. They're preaching, people are getting saved. Not everybody was happy. They kicked us out of the city. We went to Iconium. We preached the gospel. People got saved. We went to Lystra and we saw a crippled man and uh, he was raised to be able to walk. Lystra was also, I don't think we have the verses here, but Lystra was also the city where Paul was stoned. They, some of those that didn't like what he was doing in Antioch and Iconium, they followed him apparently into Elisha, they saw him there, and they brought him out of the city, they stoned him, well God raised him up so that he would walk and live again. All of these things are happening while Mark is gone. Acts chapter 14, verse number 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city there in Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had preached with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. This is the end of their missionary journey before they go back. So all of these things, all of these verses are verses where John Mark was gone. He didn't see any of that. He didn't see the crippled man to walk and to rise again. He didn't see Paul to be stoned, but God raised him back to life. He didn't see where he went into the synagogue. And Crowds of people were surrounding the synagogue and wanting to hear and getting saved. He didn't get to see all of these individuals to be ordained to be leading the church and to preach in the church. All of that, he missed out on all of those things. But John Mark got a second chance. Aren't you glad for second chances? Aren't you glad that God gave John Mark a second chance? Aren't you glad that God used Barnabas in order to give him a second chance. So Barnabas, he says, all right, Paul, you want to go back to those cities and see how they're doing? Try to encourage them, maybe teach them a little bit, answer some questions that they might have. Great. Let's go again. Oh, by the way, can I bring John Mark with me? And Paul's like, no way. He quit on us last time. But John Mark, he, he wanted to go. He wanted to go. And I think a big reason why he wanted to go again was he wanted to see what he missed out on. He wanted to see those people that were saved. He wanted to get back up and try again. He missed out on the salvations. He missed out on the miracles. He missed out on the church planting. He missed out on the ordination. He missed out on all of that. And now when there's another opportunity to go, Mark gets back up, and he says, I want to try again. One of the reasons why we've got to get back up and try again is because we've got an important purpose, seeing people to be saved, to see believers to be encouraged, to be challenged, to grow in the Lord. That's why we've got to get back up. We got to get back up because there's a believer that might need some encouragement. We got to get back up because there might be somebody who's lost that you know that they need to be saved. And they need you to be able to stand firm through the persecution to be able to give them the gospel. On the outside, they might reject you wholeheartedly, but on the inside, the Holy Spirit might be slowly working on their heart. Remember Paul, how he got saved. Remember how he got saved? Remember Stephen? He was one of the seven uh, uh, first uh, deacons there of the church. Remember he was preaching the gospel and he was preaching a very, uh, can we put it this way? controversial message (laughs) remember he was going through and he was saying all right this is the history of our nation and he goes back through and he goes back these people they rejected this prophet and they rejected the leader and they did all of this and you guys are just like that i that's not a good that's if you're going to be you know president of of jerusalem you're probably not getting elected that way (laughs) but he preaches and they didn't like that and he was stoned that day And remember, all of the leaders, they took off their garments so that they could pick up the stones and and cast them at it. Stephen, they laid it at the feet of Saul. This is Paul. So Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. He would have heard all of those words. I think the Bible makes it clear that those words never left his mind or his heart. He couldn't get it out because the Holy Spirit kept putting it back in there. (laughs) He tried to forget, and the Holy Spirit, no, 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 you're not going to forget about this. This is important. This is the most important thing. You need to know that you're a sinner. You need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and praise the Lord he got saved. Praise the Lord that others got saved. And Paul continued to move forward and praise the Lord for a John Mark who, yeah, on the first missionary journey, not so great. He quit in the middle. He said, I'm done with this. I just want to go home. But the second time around, he got back up. And we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that eventually he made his way to Rome in order to help Paul in his ministry there. So the first reason why we've got to get back up when we get knocked down is because we've got an important purpose. The second reason we've got to get back up is because of people. Is because of people. So in Acts chapter 13, verse number 2, the Bible says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So we, we know about this. I, I've alluded to this before. Paul and Barnabas, they have a special calling from God to be missionaries, right? Very specifically for Paul, very specifically for Barnabas to go and to preach the gospel. It's very clear, who is this calling for? All right. This calling is for Paul and Barnabas. Okay, Was John Mark part of this calling? Okay. It's a very simple answer. The answer is no. John Mark was not called like Paul and Barnabas. But John Mark went anyway he went anyway, he didn't have the special calling. And in fact, it seems like every time you see John Mark, the idea is somebody is telling somebody to take John Mark with them. Remember, Barnabas said, let's take John Mark here in 2 Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, when you come, take John Mark. John Mark seems to have the attitude, or can we put it this way, role in ministry, of helping other people with their calling. John Mark was supposed to help Paul and Barnabas in their calling to preach the gospel. He was supposed to help Barnabas when he went out again to the mission field. When Paul is in Rome and in prison and he needs help, he asked Timothy to bring Mark to help him with his calling. Mark seems to exemplify this servant attitude of ministry in terms of my calling is to help you in your calling. Does that make sense? It seems like John Mark's role in ministry is not like Paul. Paul was called to lead ministries, to stand up and start pushing out into places where nobody else had preached the gospel. That's Paul's attitude, right? He even says, you know what? This circle, everybody's here with the gospel. There's no point in me going here. I gotta go somewhere else. I mean, Paul is kind of a, uh, a, he's on the frontier of ministry, kind of bulldozing his way out into new fields and others followed after him. That's kind of his role, his attitude, and his specific calling Mark's calling is not really to lead anything. We don't see John Mark being called like Paul and Barnabas were called. We don't see John Mark getting this special calling of, all right, this is exactly what I want you to do. It seems to be that John Mark's role in life is to help other people with their calling. I love sports, and I love watching sports, and uh, there was a very unique situation that happened this week that I'm hoping I'll be able to partake in. So, Uh, It's due to some unfortunate circumstances, but things rarely line up exactly the way that you hope for things to line up. So most of you know I'm from Seattle, okay? And I like football, okay? A very unusual circumstance happened this week. My Seattle Seahawks are supposed to come down to LA to play the Rams this Sunday. And normally, I mean, what am I doing on Sunday? right? I don't have a secret earbud in my ear <laughs> while I'm preaching, you know, and it's not when I get excited, it's not because the Seahawks are scoring or anything, okay? I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm not able to go to the games, you know? Every year for the Super Bowl, we have to finagle our way around, you know, how are we going to watch the games? Some people pre-record it and watch it later. I, I, I've missed a lot of the games and things like that uh, because obviously football games are on Sunday. Church services are on Sunday, Right? Well, the Seahawks were supposed to play the Rams this today. But due to some COVID things, the game got delayed to Tuesday at four. Now, people usually work at four, right? Okay, But I'm in the unusual circumstance where my busiest days are the weekends, and I'm less busy on the weekdays. It's kind of the opposite, right? So there's a chance for me to go to this game on Tuesday. Tuesday. Now, I'm really, if if I post something on social media, you'll know that I made it, (laughs) okay? All right, that's how you know. I rarely post things on social media, but this is one of those things where I may never get this chance again, you know? I may never get another chance, okay? So anyway, I'm hoping to go, we'll see how this goes, but when you, if those of you that may not watch football, you may not be familiar with how football works, but there's two groups of people, okay? Uh, uh, is on offense, right? There's skill position players, meaning this, skill position players, they touch the ball. The quarterback holds the ball, he throws it to a wide receiver who catches the ball. Those guys are skill position players, right? They need specific uh, skills, mostly to catch the ball or to hold the ball or to run the ball. There's another group of people that are on the field that are not skill position people, meaning they do not touch the ball. In fact, if they're the first person to touch the ball, it's a penalty. You cannot throw the ball to an offensive lineman, okay? An offensive lineman cannot be the one to catch the ball. That's against the rules. You cannot do that, okay? So what do they do if they cannot touch the ball? only responsibility is to help those that do touch the ball to get as far down the field as possible. Really, if you want to simplify what their job is, their job is to help all of the skill position players. And if you know sports at all, you'll know how important those people are, because if those people do not do their job very well, your team is not going to do very well your team will really struggle, because as soon as your guy gets the ball, guess what? The other team is right there. (laughs) And so the offensive linemen, they're trying to keep everybody at bay so that your skill position guys have time to throw the ball or catch the ball or run the ball, all of those kinds of things. So you have these offensive linemen. They're not skill position players. They never touch the ball, but they're so vitally important for your team's success. And I think that in some ways, in Christian living, There are people who might be, you know, people who get all the glamour and the glory in terms of they get to, everybody sees what they do, right? They teach a class or they lead some ministry, all of that kind of stuff. But those people are only able to do what they do because of everybody else, right? If nobody is here, and I'm just standing up here preaching by myself, (laughs) what's the point? (laughs) There's no point at all. And a lot of the ministry happens in order that we can do different things. Now, just so it's clear, okay, my, it's not your job to help me do my job. It's actually my job to help you do your job. All right? That's my position. That's why we're here on Sunday. What do we do here on Sunday? Why do I get up here and preach every single week? I preach every single week in order to help you to do your job. All right? When you go home and you're with your family to encourage you, to help you, to give you the word of God, to encourage you and challenge you, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hey, let's be faithful. Hey, let's love one another. Let's forgive one another. Hey, let's give the gospel to somebody. Hey, let's be faithful. Let's help disciple somebody. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes. I was reading that in the Air Force. There's about 12 to 15 personnel on the ground that help every fighter pilot to get up into the air. So every pilot in the Air Force, when you think about the Air Force, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about airplanes, right? That's what you think about. But in the Air Force, it's like 5%, 5 10% that are actually flying the airplanes. Everybody else is on the ground, all right? Most of those people are on the ground. You know what their job is? Their job is to help the fighter pilot to get off the ground and into the air, all right? You have mechanics that fix the airplane. You have some people that are coordinating missions together. You have some people getting the fuel in and making sure that all the airplanes have their fuel. All of that stuff goes on with people that are in the Air Force, but they never fly any of the airplanes. And I think that Mark is kind of fitting into this category of, you know what, I may not be the one having the calling to go out and plant all of these churches, but I want to help Paul in his ministry. And I think for those of us that are are, are Christians, that's one of the reasons why we've got to get back up so that we can help somebody else in their calling. Somebody else who might have a basic calling of just being a Christian in their house to help somebody to say, you know what? I know that you tried witnessing at your workplace and you've been persecuted and things have been really tough. Let me encourage you, just keep moving forward. And you see that in Colossians chapter four, Paul is writing, obviously to the church at at Colossae, in verse number 10, he writes, Aristarchus, my fellow, brus- uh, uh, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. So Aristarchus and Marcus are here with me, touching whom ye receive commandments. If ye come unto me, receive him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. So this next statement describes all of the people that he's just mentioned. He mentions Jesus, who's called Justice, Aristarchus, and Mark. He said, these individuals, they only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. He says, these people, they've really helped me in my calling and in my mission. See, Mark, he was a partner in this fellowship. He was a worker and he comforted me when I needed it. So if we're going to follow this example of Mark, we've got to get back up because we've got an important purpose. And we've gotta get back up because there are other people that rely upon us. The third reason why we should get back up when we get knocked down is because of permanence. Because life is not just about what we can get out of today, but what we can get out of and do for eternity. So Mark made a great difference, not just in a short lifespan on earth, but he makes a difference beyond his years. So I want to take a look at Mark's legacy. The legacy, first of all, of his comeback, okay? Going all the way back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, there are two names there. One is Demas, and one is Mark. Uh, When me and my wife, we had our kids, we talked about certain, you know, names that we were going to, you know, we had boy names and girl names picked out and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that would come up sometimes is, oh, I met somebody or I knew somebody with this name, and they were just the nicest person. They were the best person. I would, you know, I'm okay with that name. And the opposite can be true as well. right, and you can see that in how people name their kids. There's a reason why nobody names their daughters Jezebel, right? Okay, there's a reason for that. There's a bad association there, right? Now, today, you see people named Mark. You probably know somebody named Mark, right? You know somebody named Mark. I know that there have been people in this church named Mark, okay? Anybody here know anybody by the name of Demas? It right. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue like Mark, maybe. But Demas is not a name that people want to name their child with. Why? Because he's got a bad legacy. His legacy was he started great, but he quit at the end. He started strong, but he kind of withered towards the end. There's a number of people in the Bible that are like that, right? Saul. Remember King Saul? Started off great. He was wonderful. He was humble. And he, he followed God, and some great things happened, but uh, people usually don't name their kids Saul. And one of the reasons why, if you know your Bible, uh, it's not really exactly a great name, not exactly a great example. There's other people in the Bible that are like that. Not that you would name your child Lot, okay? That's kind of a weird name to name your child, all right? You wouldn't name your kid probably Job. Job is a great name, but you don't see too many people like that because people would be like, uh, Mr. Job Smith, all right, <laughs> can you say it up, right? Probably, there are other reasons why you may not name your child that, and Lot might not be, you know, one of those names that you pick for that reason, but Lot definitely doesn't have a good legacy. He started okay, he followed Abraham, but definitely towards the end, a complete and total disaster, and one of the reasons why we should get back up is because we've got to leave a legacy for others that it's worth getting back up, amen? it's worth getting back up and other people can look at us and say you know what maybe i didn't make it this time but i'm going to try again there's a great example in football his name is kurt warner and uh most of you may not know his name but he won the super bowl the reason why this is especially significant is because just a few years earlier he was bagging groceries in iowa okay he graduated college didn't get drafted tried out for the green bay packers Didn't make it, he got cut, and so he was like, All right, what do I do? And he went bagging groceries in Iowa, okay. But he decided, You know what? I'm gonna try again. And he tried in this Arena Football League, he was really successful, and then he signed with St. Louis, and trades and injuries happened. He ended up being the starting quarterback, and the coach was like, Well, I've never seen him with all of the top players, the first team, you know, players here, but we're going to rally behind him, and we're going to do really well. They won the Super Bowl that year. That year, he won the MVP. He won the Super Bowl MVP. He won the Super Bowl that year, and I think there's a movie coming about, out about him. Well, Kurt Warner is an example and a help to those that say, you know what, I didn't get drafted out of college, but if Kurt Warner made it, maybe I could make it, You know what he 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 got cut from a team but maybe i can make it just like kurt warner and you never know what can happen and that's an important legacy to leave behind of you know what it's worth it to come back the legacy also he left behind was one of contribution mark contributed towards something important to something that was worth contributing towards i remember reading the story about uh, one of these uh, engineers that was working at Apple in the early days of the iPhone. And uh, you know, they were interviewing different people and one of these engineers was, was quoting, I couldn't find the quote, but uh, he was basically saying, it's so satisfying when I get to walk out and I'm you know, at a restaurant or I'm out in public and I look over at the person next to me and they're using the thing that I made. They have no idea who I am They have no idea what I do. They have no idea what I did to help them. But it's so satisfying just to be able to look over and say, hey, here's somebody enjoying something that I made. Hey, I'm making a difference in this guy's life. this guy's life is better or more convenient or he's able to do certain things because of what I was able to do. He may never know who I am, but I'm able to make a difference. And the legacy of Mark is we don't know everything that that Mark did because when Barnabas leaves with Mark, the story kind of ends there. We don't really know where he went. We don't really know what happened. We know they went to Cyprus. And then that's that's the end of it. We just see him kind of pop up here and there. We know about Paul, we know about Silas, we know about Timothy, we know about some of uh, these others, but Mark, we don't really know much about him. We don't know much about him, but still he made a difference. The third legacy that Mark leaves behind is the legacy of his composition. This kind of ties back a little bit towards Mark's calling was to help others with their calling. So 1 Peter chapter 5 verse number 13, The Bible there says, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. So, here is Mark. Now, for whatever happened between Barnabas and going off on that missionary journey, now he's with Peter. Peter is there in Babylon. So Peter's in Babylon. He obviously preached the gospel there, started a church there, and he's ministering there. And Mark, his, his he calls him his son, uh, somebody that he's kind of trying to father and to raise up in the ministry, is there with him. And Mark is helping him, preach the gospel, Mark is helping him to plant this church, to minister to those. But at least for those of us that are here today, will most remember Mark for the book of Mark. Remember the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You ever wonder who that Mark is? I don't remember reading about Mark in the book of Matthew, all right? The 12 disciples, there's no Mark in there. Who is this Mark individual? Mark is this, John Mark. Now, John Mark, obviously, so the inspiration of of the Holy Scriptures, you know, through the apostles, this recording of Mark is most likely, probably, through Peter. So, Peter is the one who is kind of recounting these things, and Mark is the one writing it down. So, here is Mark, once again going back towards Mark's ministry seems to be one of helping others with their ministry, because Peter has a story to tell. Obviously, this is through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's got a story to tell, and Mark's going to be the one to help him tell it. He's going to be the one that writes it down, and what's significant about the book of Mark is we have four gospels, and they all seem to emphasize different things, right? Matthew seems to emphasize that Jesus is the king. Luke seems to emphasize that Jesus was a man, the humanity of Jesus, John seems to emphasize the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was God. So Luke and John, they are, Jesus was a man, but Jesus is also God. Both of these things. So you see that emphasis. In Matthew, we see that Jesus is the king. In Mark, we see that Jesus is emphasized as a servant. And what does Mark do? Mark is a servant. Mark helps others. Mark helped Paul. Mark helped Barnabas. Mark helps Peter. Mark helps in the ministry. And because he got back up, we literally have one of the books in the Bible, the book of Mark, because he got back up. And another reason, this last reason of why it's worth getting back up is to leave a lasting impact beyond our years.